Hey, you guys, welcome back. This is Tom with the new Suggestible Mind podcast, formerly the Progressive Mind Center podcast. We switched names uh, for some different reasons that I'll go into uh, a little bit later in uh, the next shows. But um, you can check us out uh, on SuggestibleMind.com. We also have an app on Apple iTunes by the same name, Suggestible Mind. Please feel free to subscribe and also leave comments. Uh, that helps us improve and make Maybe there's a certain show topic that you'd like to hear about in the future. Thanks again. I have a special guest today with me. She's a friend and a colleague. Her name is Dr. Susie Miracle. She's a psychologist and she specializes in health and sports psychology. And so she's going to share that with you today. And then we'll get into some different topics on uh, the related field. But I'm excited to have her and hopefully this will spawn a new uh uh, content and podcast with her. Thanks again for coming, Susie. Yeah, you're welcome. It's good to be here. So tell me about um, the things that you're doing, the types of clients that you see, because I've been so fascinated by who do you actually see? Like, how do they find you and seek you out and come to you? And then what kind of things do you help with? So with the specialty health and sports psych, the people that really fall under that umbrella, they're generally three, th- think of them as three different people. One of the people has a medical condition at the same time as having a mental health condition. So whatever combination of those two things, it can be cancer and anxiety or diabetes and depression or chronic back pain and postpartum depression. And then the second person is an athlete who has all of their athletic concerns, whatever those are, performance-based, just managing their their performance in in their sport. But then they also have whatever else is going on with them just as people. If they have relationship issues or stress or what have you. And then the third person is a person with an eating disorder slash disordered eating. And the three of those people, what they have in common is that they are at the intersection of medical health and mental health. All three of them need their bodies to perform in a specific way And they need to be able to incorporate their mental skills in order to make those things happen. Again, whether it's beating cancer or perfecting your free throw or getting your labs in order because you've been doing disordered things with food. (laughs) Right, you're deficient. (laughs) Right, you have some kind of nutritional deficiency. And so that's really, those are really the three people I see generally. If they all found themselves in a room together, they may not find that they have a lot in common, but they do. They have a lot in common because, again, they need their they need mental skills to improve their ability to live physically as successfully as possible. Now, um, as a therapist, I mean, I specialize in working with anxiety and depression and some substance abuse, and uh, I primarily use uh, hypnosis and cognitive behavioral therapy. And uh, on the side, I've uh, for years I've moonlighted as a personal trainer and uh, more recently a strength and conditioning coach. Um, but that I feel like that is so separate from what I do on a day to day basis. But I've been trying to figure out a way to incorporate those two things because I value exercise. I I value uh, diet. Um, not that I've been the best with uh, my diet over the years, especially with stress. And especially oh, this whole COVID note, thing. On that note, remind me to circle back to disordered eating slash eating disorder. Put a pin in that. Okay. Disordered eating. We'll come back. We'll come back to that. Very good. Um, so, I mean, I talk in, in therapy about, you know, the importance of exercise and, uh, and physical fitness. 
um, because I'm passionate about it. Um, but I don't, I feel like I just kind of grazed the surface, but you really delve deep into that and the comorbidity uh, that is. So you're treating the anxiety plus you're treating the eating disorder or your, your, you know, the sports psychology aspect of it. So I just find that fascinating how you, uh, uh, how you work with, uh, with clients and help them overcome certain things. So. Yeah. In a lot of ways, those things are not as unrelated as they sound, because if you take, let's say, let's say any lifestyle change, and we call the lifestyle changes, things like making sure that you're getting enough movement in the day to day on a day to day basis, making sure that you're getting enough sleep, making sure that you're hydrated enough. Those are the things that we stereotypically think about when it comes to taking care of your physical self. But all of those things require very similar skills that you'd need to overcome something like depression or anxiety. You have to first even just conceptualize of a world where these things are possible, where, yeah, I can overcome my fear of flying or my apparent inability to get seven to eight hours of sleep. You have to at first believe that that's possible and then be able to look at the things that are keeping you back from that and really thoughtfully address whatever those things are with the resources that you have. If you don't have the resources at hand, then how do I obtain those? And a lot of times those are the mental skills, like being able to break a habit, being able to recognize that a habit isn't serving you. All of that is necessary in order to be able to do any of those things. Again, like overcome a fear of flying or a perceived inability to get enough sleep. They require really similar skill sets. It's the fact that we think of those things as so different, often what limits us from being able to do one or the other. That's really true because um, clients that come for like personal training <clears throat> and they want to lose weight. And I wanted to tie on, uh, tie back into what we were talking about before we even started the podcast about weight loss and how there's so much more that goes into weight sure. loss aside from, okay, you, you need to move more and, um, and eat less type of thing. But there's a whole, the whole mental component, uh, that you have to overcome. It's a, there's, there's a lot of emotionality tied into being able to take care of your body. And, you know, I, I don't very, 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 very rarely, if ever, do I ever talk about weight loss with a person that I'm working with because nine times out of 10, I mean, possibly 10 times out of 10, that is not the most effective focus for us. If a person is engaging in behaviors that is leading to an unhealthy body it's much more beneficial to look at the behaviors than to look at the end goal. Because let's say you weigh X and you want to weigh Y. The more we focus on that, the less we're focusing on the steps that you need to take to get from X to Y. If you are, like you were saying, emotionally overeating, anybody can put a lock on a cabinet or put a lock on a refrigerator. But if you are not addressing the emotional things that you're trying to numb out from, you're you're going to have to keep that lock on your refrigerator for the rest of your life. <laughs> right. And that's just not realistic. So let's say a person is, I don't know, chronically stressed out because of their work environment. Well, what can we do about that so that you don't feel that, so that you don't need, so that you don't have as much of a need to use unhealthy coping skills? Because that's all emotional overeating is. It's just, it's just a coping skill. It's just not one that tends to A, work for the long term, B, be beneficial for your physical health in the long term either. No, it's a maladaptive uh, skill that for we sure. just kind of pick up. And uh, like 
for example, for me, I mean, uh, I'm Italian. My family's Italian on my mother's side. And uh, food was not only just nutrition. Uh, it's never just nutrition. <laughs> it, it, it's, it was about love and get For together sure. and yeah. about comfort and about yeah. all those things. There's so I know. a lot of symbolic value behind food. Yeah, whenever I'm, you know, stressed uh, and in the morning, I'm motivated. Like I was talking about, I, I lift and have guys come over to the house. We lift mm-hmm. in the morning. You feel really good, feel motivated. Mm-hmm. I'm on top of it. I'm going to stick to a, a healthy diet. And then by nine o'clock at night, right. I'm breaking into the shit food. Right. Well, that's the problem with using motivation as like the gas in the tank. And I, I talk about this with people. I talk about this with people all the time. Motivation feels good. Enthusiasm feels good, but it is hardly ever enough to get you to the next stage. It feels good in the moment, but who has the same level of motivation at the end of a project as they did in the beginning? Nobody. And so Mm -hmm. if you're strictly depending on motivation, it's just not going to get you there. It's, I tell people it's like having half a tank of gas to get from here to Atlanta. Like you're just not going to make it. You need to have other things motivating you forward. Mm-hmm. I probably shouldn't use the word motivation, but you need other things. <laughs> no, that's it's all right. You need no. other things to get you there. So what other kind of things do you put in place or help clients put into place so that they can stick to um uh, and achieve the goals that they want? The first thing, you know, now that you use the word goal, the first thing is to make sure that our goals are reasonable. If your goal is, you know, I will completely eliminate all the stress from my life. I mean, I'm sorry. I would right. love I would love to make that happen for you, but no one's going to be able to make that happen for you. And if they say that they are, then you know, walk out. <laughs> That's just not happening. Mm-hmm. But making sure that your goals are something that are reasonable and that you don't have to do crazy things to get there. Because if you have to do crazy things to get there, it's just not going to be sustainable. Mm-hmm. So that's that's usually the first step. And then the second step is finding out what people are willing to do in order to be in order to live a different kind of life. In order to in order to do things differently, you have to in order to live differently, you have to do things differently. So what are you willing to do? So if let's take that person who's stressed out at work and overeating, if it's just not a realistic option for you to completely change fields, then what can we do within your existing setup to make it more comfortable? Do you need to establish healthier boundaries in your work environment? Do you need to make sure that you set things in place so that maybe you're not so stressed out before a deadline, what have you? And then really digging into what are the habits, what are the behaviors that are hurting you? Because pretty succinctly, everything that you do is either serving you or not serving you. And the more we engage in things that are not serving you or not serving ourselves, the less likely it is that an entire life is going to be comfortable. And so we really need to lean into the things that we have control over and take as much accountability over those things as possible. Because again, honestly, we don't have, we don't have a hundred percent control over everything in our lives. So when you, when you find a spot that you can access, that you can modify, let's figure out what we can do about it. So it's very uh, individualized. So it doesn't yeah. sound like there's a real cookie cutter uh, method for uh, achieving that. You have to understand exactly what the person's goals are, identify uh, the maladaptive coping strategies or behaviors that they're engaging in and try to figure out, well, how can we change these things and what are you willing to do uh, to change? And of course, I'm sure you offer some suggestions and they can say yay or nay, that's going to work for me or no, that's not going <laughs> right. to work. And then reassess later on to mm-hmm. see, okay, you made these changes. How is that working for you? Or you did not make those changes and 
you've stunted your growth or you, <laughs> you haven't right. achieved your goals. Right, right. And so I want to, you know, now that I remember, it came back to my mind when you said, you know, I said to, that we were going to loop back to disordered eating versus mm-hmm. an eating disorder. This is important because I those two terms are somewhat interchangeable, but not really. An eating disorder is a diagnosable condition that is listed in the DSM-5. That's the manual that we use to to diagnose and diagnose individuals. That all of those diagnoses have really specific criteria. You there's there's a handful of criteria. Individual must meet five of the seven criteria over a certain period of time in order to meet the criteria. Six months to a year or something. Right, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And so it's actually a pretty small portion of the population that actually meets criteria for eating disorders. But in the time that, in the experience that I've had, I have observed <laughs> that it's probably 100% of the population that has at some point or other disordered eating behavior. I believe it. At some point in everybody's life, you have engaged irresponsibly, (laughs) (laughs) unreasonably and unhealthily with a food item Mm -hmm. or the lack thereof. And so what that actually looks like, boots on the ground, is I'm so stressed out that I skipped lunch or I'm so stressed out that I ate a pound of cheese or I have no appetite because I'm really sad and so I just ate a bowl of ice cream for dinner or, you know, just any time that you engage with food in a way that is, again, to use the word maladaptive, maladaptive, meaning this does not, it doesn't serve you. It doesn't, it doesn't serve your body. It doesn't serve your brain. It doesn't serve your spirit. This -hmm. does not work for us. At some point in everybody's life, we have engaged unreasonably with food or the lack thereof. And in that umbrella too falls exercise because exercise is another way that we engage in self-care. So food, food, hydration, sleep, movement, if you've engaged irresponsibly or maladaptively with food and exercise, you've engaged in disordered eating behavior, but you probably don't meet criteria for an eating disorder. And so that I think really normalizes it for people like oh no one else has ever done this i can't talk about this i'm so ashamed right like no every person in the world has done some irresponsible unreasonable unhealthy behavior around food but that doesn't mean that we have to keep making those mistakes (laughs) if Mm -hmm. we figure out what what is the chain of events that took you to skipping dinner or you know binging instead of eating a reasonable meal we can we can walk it back to make it so that it's less likely to happen in the future. Just because it's Thanksgiving doesn't mean that I need to absolutely gorge myself. No, no. And and even if you did, tomorrow is a new day. Right. right. <laughs> you don't yeah. have to keep doing this. Right. Because there's also and you know, like you alluded to earlier, the fact is there's a lot of cultural meaning behind food. There's so much memory and associations and just symbolic value around the things that we eat or don't eat and pretending that it's strictly calories in calories out like you're putting gas in your car going back to the car analogies you're not going to be successful because it's that's a gross undersimplification of what is actually going on so if you're pretending that it's just calories in calories out no matter what you're trying to do differently with food it's probably not going to go well because you're neglecting two-thirds of your relationship with food. 
I'm sure in your uh, practice, you've come across um, addictions to uh, exercise mm-hmm. and uh, sure. maybe you can kind of touch on that because that's a real, that's a real thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, our culture is so centered around exercise for health. You know, it's healthy to exercise. You need to do X, Y, Z thing. Anytime you open social media or turn on the news, you're hearing something about some exercise recommendation. And so our culture is really focused on it, but it tends to focus on it from a really shame-based perspective. Like if you don't work out, you're lazy. If you don't get your steps in, you're sedentary and bound to die of heart disease, et cetera, which (laughs) by the way is probably an overstatement. But, you know, the more we, the more we think about it as like moving away from that shame-based perspective, this is something that I can do to respect my body. This is something that I can do to prolong the length and quality of my life. The more that we think about it in that perspective, the more likely we are to be successful at sticking with a routine. Because if you're thinking about it from the very short term, I'm going to work out for this event because I want to fit into this outfit. You're probably not going to maintain it, probably not even to the event, to be honest, because we just, again, motivation just doesn't last. Mm -hmm. But if you look at it from the perspective of this is a much bigger picture, there's also a little bit more room for error because it doesn't have to be perfect. This is a 30, 40, 50 year long game. It's okay if you didn't go for your walk on Tuesday because look at the bigger look at the bigger picture. And so another thing that gets in the way of that for a lot of people is because it has that shame-based perspective for people that are really high achieving, who are used to being really good at things, who have that perfectionistic edge you can be really mean to yourself <laughs> about mm. your relationship with exercise. And so that's that's one of the areas where, you know, if a person comes in and says, you know, I want to have this goal for, for exercise like, or for my sport, like, well, is it reasonable? Is it sustainable? Is it going to be enjoyable to you? Because if it's not, then it may have a short lifespan. And if you're okay with that, then we can do this. But you have to know that that's a caveat. And then also the body image uh, issues. I mean, you're looking on social media or in movies or in the news and you're seeing these images of people that seemingly look uh, uh, perfect or damn near close to perfect. And you're like, you feel so dying on yourself because why I don't look like that. And I don't know what it would take to get to look like that. I don't know if I have the stuff uh, to be that. And if I'm not that, then there's clearly something Uh, wrong with me right then we're going back into the shame based part like that finger wagging i should be able to x y or z thing because this other person is doing x y or z thing and the truth is that it's so much more complicated than that it's never that straightforward even if someone's life looks on the surface to be really similar to yours and they can do x y or z thing that's risky because you don't actually know what is happening and that's one of the reasons why um it's it's really problematic to comment on people's bodies because when you say to someone, oh my gosh, you look so good, you've lost so much weight, this is great, high five, how do you know how that person got there? Right. Can you verify that this was a reasonable thing for this person? No. And so you might be you might be complimenting someone's unreasonable behavior. And so I'm not saying that we can't compliment each other, but there's usually something else that we can target other than weight loss because we just, we don't know, we don't know what a person has done to get there. That is just like a multi-billion dollar 
thing right oh, there. Yeah, the absolutely. Weight loss industry. The, the di- diet culture is one of the biggest industries on the planet. Mm-hmm. And it's it's based on people not liking themselves, <laughs> right. which the whole thing hinges mm-hmm. on. I don't like how I look today. I want to look different in the future. And that's a problem because in order in order to get some, if you, if you have to make someone believe that they are not good enough today, that they have to be an after in a before and after world. And we were talking about this earlier. The before and after world is is a completely false narrative because there's no such thing as before and after. You don't have access to before or after. The only thing you have access to is now. And if you are not treating yourself with respect now, you're you're having you're gonna have a really hard time getting to any kind of after mm-hmm. because it's just not likely to be sustainable or comfortable. It has to be sustainable and comfortable. There's probably a lot of anxiety because anxiety lives in the future. So if you're working on trying to attain something uh, and you're not seeing uh, the results um, and not being happy in the present moment, then you're worried or concerned or focused on what will happen and what will I look like and how can I achieve those goals. And in my practice, I, I do a lot of work with mindfulness and being in the present moment and just enjoying who you are, having a loving, healthy relationship with yourself uh, in the present moment. Um, and that helps. Being in the present moment helps to reduce some of the uh, the anxiety. So I like what you said about the before and after. We don't have access to that. All we have mm-hmm. is right now. Let's just focus on what is the best and healthiest thing I can do in the present moment. Um, and if that's drinking water instead of a soda, then do that. If that's going on a walk or if that's, you know, going to the gym, do that. If that's even, um, and I wanted to make sure I mentioned this too, uh, recovering, engaging in some self-care, stretching or resting. uh, Because I I don't think that, um, especially men, we spend enough time focusing on recovery from the strenuous exercise that we put ourselves through. So recovery is uh, almost as important, if not more important, than the actual exercise itself. Absolutely. And it becomes more and more and more important as you get older because you don't bounce back at 41 the same way that you did when you were 21, much less when you're 61. And there's a there's a T-shirt that you can buy um, on all over the internet, um, no rest days. <laughs> right. <laughs> that yeah. drives me nuts because it's it's just not good for you. And it's part of that it's part of that construct that you have to push yourself until the bleeding edge and it just doesn't work. And so then when you fail, because you are going to fail, then that shame based narrative comes in, like, well, I should have been able to like, no, you you shouldn't have started. There was a better way to do this from the beginning. Right. We were joking about that this morning uh, in our uh, lifting session, and we were doing squats this morning, you know, heavy barbell squats and working up to a uh, a max uh, set. And our max is in nowhere, anywhere near some of the uh, the big boys. But we said, you know what, at 40 and 50 or around there, we're comfortable with that because yeah. it's it's good for us. We're not going to be in those huge high numbers. Hey, I'm a big fan of the expression, just do your best. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> just yeah. do your best without driving yeah. yourself nuts. That's as good as any of us can do. And we keep ourselves from getting injured too, because if, if you end up sustaining an injury because you're overworking yourself or overtraining, then it takes longer and longer, especially the older we get, like you were saying, uh, to recover from that. And then days away from active uh, training days, I mean, I, I need that for my own uh, mental health and well-being. So if I have to spend 
uh, six months to a year rehabbing a shoulder injury, that's that's not good uh, for me. Well, so. It's not worth it at the end of the day. No. It's not worth it. And so one of the, a couple of the overarching concepts behind all of this is really self-respect and self-worth because everything that we've talked about since we started this conversation hinges on respecting yourself today in this moment and believing that you have value. If you don't believe you have value, then you're not going to respect yourself. If you don't respect yourself, then you're not going to engage in behaviors that are reasonable for yourself. And so, so much of this really is based on those fundamental principles. And if, if you're not there, you don't have to stay there. <laughs> you don't <laughs> right. have to stay in a low self-respect, low self-worth place because even those narratives are false. It's, it's just not accurate to say that a person doesn't have worth. Of course you have worth. That's, that's a given. But if you don't believe that, you're not going to act like you do. And so you're just not going to take care of yourself. And so you are going to have those longer lasting negative lifestyle impacts or longer lasting impacts on your health and wellness. The whole thing, the whole thing has to go back to self-worth and self-respect. Because Mm -hmm. if you like go back to what we were talking about, you know, drinking a glass of water as opposed to a soda. If you know that you haven't had enough water today and you're dehydrated, if you if you respect your body enough to want it to last comfortably and with high quality of life, that's when you pick up the glass of water because you you would do this for someone that you respect. And so I use the analogy of taking care of an animal or a child when we talk about taking care of our bodies. Because if you ask someone, you know, if if your kid or if your dog didn't do what it was supposed to do today or if you just didn't like him, would you still feed and water your child or animal? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so people yeah. say, well, yeah, of course I would because, you know, yeah, I'd, I may not have liked what they did today or I may not have, you know, it may not be in a great place today, but of course I'm going to take care of this person or animal that is in my care. But when you reflect back, like, well, you're not doing that for yourself. Why is that? Like, well, I'm different. You're really not because – if you asked anybody that cares about you how they would take care of you today, they would take care of you in a way that is probably reasonable and sustainable and you know all those other things we're talking about. The difference is that we've we put different value on people that we take care of versus the value that we put on ourselves. That's a huge component of all this. Um You've come across people, uh, I'm sure, like myself, who have such low self-esteem and such low self-worth, in fact, so much that they want to look a certain way or be able to do a certain thing. And in the moment, uh, I am not good enough. And so in the future, at some point, when I do look this certain way or when I've achieved those goals, then I'll have the self-worth. But if we're talking about in the moment, respecting yourself, and having a degree of uh, self-efficacy, self-worth, and respect. Um, are there ways in which you can help uh, your clients um, or listeners uh, boost their self-esteem and their self-worth in the moment? One of the So I, I want to address something that you just mentioned first. You said, when I do X, Y, and Z thing, then I'll get to be happy. That comes up a lot. It comes up so often that <laughs> there's a term for it. It's it's the moving goalpost mentality where once I get here, it'll be okay. Or once I get there, I'll be happy. I'll be allowed to 
you know, enjoy myself and my life. That is so risky because the, the, the likelihood that when you achieve X, Y, or Z thing, then you'll be happy. The likelihood of that is so low because there's always going to be something else past that. If I, I will love and respect myself, yeah, sure, you know, this is a great idea, this is a great concept, but I'll I'll start that when I weigh X. <laughs> right. And mm-hmm. then you get to X and like, well, you know, but so-and-so really looks good at Y, so I want to get there. And then you do more crazy things and you get to Y. And then Z starts looking really attractive. And you can you can really think about that in in any context if you know you're talking about income or achievements at work or sports performance goals it's not a bad thing to have goals but the most successful life is forward facing but current respecting mm-hmm. there's nothing in the world wrong with wanting to achieve a certain thing again parenthetically as long as you're doing reasonable things to get there mm-hmm. <laughs> but it has to be it has to be reasonable today that's that's something i go back to a lot so uh, are there some things that you do with clients to help them uh, boost their uh, self esteem or self worth in the moment one of the things that i do a lot with people is ask you know if if you have a belief about yourself that is derogatory one of the questions i ask a lot is where did you get that where did you where did you pick up that idea like oh i'm such a big loser because whatever where did you where did you get that concept from who taught you that because realistically someone taught you that you would not be good enough unless and they they probably didn't use those terms exactly because most people, okay, maybe not most, many people don't talk to their children <laughs> that way. Some do for sure. But, and it may not have been a parent. It could have been just anybody, anybody in your life. And it doesn't, have, doesn't necessarily have to have been when you were a child. But at some point, if you have a negative belief about yourself, the likelihood that someone else taught you to have that is really high. And so if we can, if we can pinpoint, maybe not exactly when it came from, you know, you don't have to say, you know, on April 3rd, 1987, whatever, but if you have a basically clear picture of what that belief is, we can start to dismantle it brick by brick because it's all being held up probably on just bad Intel. Like I'm a big fat loser unless I earn, you know, a dollar amounts a year, a dollar amount a year. Well, where, where did you get that from? Well, you know, my parents always said that if you didn't work hard, then you wouldn't be successful and you have to, and and narratives like that fall out. And so we start to, we start to really pick them apart for accuracy versus again, just bad Intel. We challenge it and we do our best to create a new narrative. One that is more fact-based, reasonable, fair. So you work hard at um, helping the client uh, fact check, but then also like look at the negative core beliefs and sort of untangling and find out maybe where they came from, or maybe you don't necessarily know exactly where they came from. Yeah, you don't need to know. You don't always need to know exactly. Again, on this day in this place, this person said to me, quote, whatever. My teacher said my drawing sucked. And so I'm never right. going to be an you artist. Don't, you don't <laughs> need to know that exactly. But the funny thing is that a lot of people actually do. A lot of people can pinpoint 
a couple of really formative experiences where like, yeah, this is where I first, I remember the first time I felt shame. I remember the first time I was embarrassed. I remember the first time I felt like I let someone down. Is that the one linchpin moment that changed your life forever? Maybe, maybe not, but we all have those memories. And for a lot of people, they grow into these narratives about yourself that are really holding you back. Mm. Um, so I do hypnosis and uh, one of the, um, the th- therapist psychologist that, that I've studied is Milton Erickson. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said that probably the number one um, problem uh, with people and in regards to their mental uh, health and wellness is rigidity that um, they've uh, learn these beliefs over time, whatever means, and they stay rigid in those beliefs. Mm-hmm. Even if the situation changes, right. the circumstances changes, they still behave in the same way. And if we can um, change their rigidity um, and and actually help them grow and adapt to the new environment, then they can be much more successful. Yeah, it's, that's ab- that's absolutely true. We we pick up what I mean, we call them templates. You know, you pick up these templates to interact with yourself and others in the world. But situations hardly ever stay the same throughout the lifespan. It's like trying I I use this analogy with people all the time too. It's like trying to play risk with monopoly rules. Some a set of rules <laughs> that worked for you when you were a kid yeah. probably doesn't work anymore because your life is different enough that if you keep trying to play by the same rules, something is going to go wrong. And just, I mean, just take, you know, talking about going from childhood to adulthood. One of the things that changes dramatically for most people is, is the development of just control and agency over your life. When you're a kid, you have very little agency. You have very little ability to call your own shots. But as you move into adulthood, most people develop a little bit more ability to control. You become a little bit more of a master of your own destiny. If you don't really own that, you're really holding yourself back. And mm-hmm. that concept in and of itself can be a little bit scary. Like, oh, I have to I have to make choices that are going to impact my whole life. Yes. Is that scary? Totally. But it can also be great <laughs> if, you, yeah. if you make the right decisions that makes – if you make enough right decisions over the course of time to benefit you, you, you don't have to live in the same way that you did that – you did before because that was the only thing that was available to you. I think that people have much more agency than they give themselves uh, credit for that they know that they have. And I think that that would be an important uh, thing for them to move forward and actually start making uh, decisions for themselves because they love themselves because in this moment uh, they're worth it. And to see what um, can come of that, of making some better choices. Yeah. And we keep going back to these same concepts of self-worth self-respect and being in the here and now this whole conversation we keep going back to those principles because they're so impactful to lead a successful life Mm. they it sounds so simplistic like oh yeah of course you know of course i respect myself but do you really when it comes down to your day-to-day choices and the way that you're orchestrating the whole landscape of your life think about it right uh, how can people find out more about you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my practice is the Balanced Wellness Center. Uh, so my website is balancedwellnesscenter.com. And uh, you can also reach me by email, which is drmaricle at gmail.com, which is D-R-M-A-R-I-K-L-E at gmail. Right on. Is there any... Uh 
thoughts or feelings or uh, concepts that you want to impart to the listeners uh, before we close? I really like the fact that we kept going back to self-worth, self-respect, and here and now. We didn't start there, but no, that just, well, just yeah, sort of yeah. We kept we organically kept, came. We about. kept going back to those three concepts because they have so much potential to completely, completely revolutionize the way that you live your life. And so, if if for any of you guys listening, if those three statements resonate with you, or you realize that wait a second, I'm not, I'm not totally doing this. Just because you haven't done it in the past doesn't mean that you can't start now. Just because you've been making the same mistake over and over and over again doesn't mean you have to keep making it. None of us are contractually obligated to our former mistakes. That's a great statement. You can turn yeah. things around. And and I think those those three concepts are are pretty fundamental and critically important to, to living a successful life. So think about those things. Self-worth, self-respect, being in the present moment. Excellent. You are amazing. Thank you so Thanks. much for being here. Uh, hopefully you can come back and we can do yeah, uh, more yeah, shows yeah, like sure. this. Um, please, once again, uh, check out the uh, website, suggestiblemind.com and leave a comment uh, to help us grow and improve. And if you'd like to hear uh, a certain topic uh, on the show, please feel free to put that in the contact. All right. I'll see you next time. Take care.